0: Hello, everybody, and welcome to the next episode of the Garden Mindset Podcast. And today I have a special treat for you. As we know, we start out all these podcasts with a quote. And uh, I try to go look for a quote that will meet the person that I'm going to have on to discuss. And this person uh, has really been a trailblazer in giving some guidance and hope and light to the next generation of officers. So I used a quote here from Ella Baker, and Ella Baker said, give light and people will find the way. And so with that, I'd like to welcome Kristen Zimmon, uh, the former chief of the Illinois Police Department. Good afternoon, Chief. How are you?
1: Well, depending on where you are, good morning, good afternoon, good evening.
0: How are you doing today?
1: I am doing remarkable. Thank you very much. I like to s- you having me on.
0: I'd like to say you're enjoying retirement, but I don't think you're doing that, are you?
1: <laughs> yeah, I need to look that word up in the dictionary <laughs> and see what it says, because I'm defying that word.
0: A little bit of background. I'm just going to have you uh, give some overview of your career and history, but you officially retired from the APD in August of 2021. Is that accurate?
1: I did. It was September, but same, same. Yep. yep. I left the PD after 27 years sworn and 30 years altogether because I started as a baby cadet. God
0: bless you. We're, we're going to learn more from you in this light than than the leadership. And you were a great leader, but I think you're going to get to lead many more people now because of this.
1: Oh, thank you. I appreciate that. I mean, and that's, you know, as far as uh, I left early, actually earlier than I intended, and I'm sure we'll, we'll get into that, but that's what the reason that I left was uh, to, to have a bigger platform to talk about, you know, not only leadership, but to talk about mass shooting prevention and preparation. So that's what I've been doing these days since retire retirement.
0: Yeah. And I'm sure uh, we won't, we won't talk about it because I'm sure it's sensitive. And, but uh, I saw that you, we're also uh, appointed to the federal task force in the in the Uvalde matter.
1: Yeah, you know it's interesting how one you know becomes a subject matter expert, right. and I'll tell you, it's a title that I wish um, with all of my heart that I could shed. Uh, But we had a mass shooting in my city in 2019. Five of my officers were shot and five people were killed. Um, And then I got onto the Mass Violence Advisory Board for the International Chiefs Association, uh, Chiefs of Police Association. And so because of my work and going around speaking and because of the IACP Mass Violence Advisory uh, Initiative, well, then uh, the DOJ tapped uh, myself and other uh, some eight other subject matter experts and so yeah we're doing the complete uh, a review And, you know, we intend that to be a a truly a cumulative review of not just law enforcement, but of the entire event. So, um, yeah, obviously we're in the throes of it, but, you know, our report will be out and, you know, hoping to uncover some things that will help law enforcement. That's our only mission is, you know, to highlight what went right, best practices, and to really shine the light on how we can be better, you know, in in the law enforcement ecosystem.
0: Yeah. And I think that's a big point because a lot of times, the people that might be listening to this podcast don't understand something. And that is everything that happens in this country, sometimes good and a lot of times bad directly results in an, an, after action review or a detailed dive into that event. And so, and so I think that's awesome that you're, you're involved in that because I think we'll all learn from, you know, unfortunately such a terrible situation, but also, you know, the mistakes or the good things that were occurred in this because Right now, we're all just watching it on the news, right? And unfortunately, that's not the best piece of uh, uh, information.
1: Oh, for sure. And I'm, I'm glad that you brought that up because you hit on something, you know, we, you know, we don't have to wait for a mass violence incident to happen. I, I think that we as a profession in law enforcement need to get better, you know, at looking at the at the game reels afterwards, whether it be from events that happen across the nation, where we can sit down and dissect just like they do, you know, for those of, of you sports fans, you know, that yeah. you, you dissect, you know, tapes, you know, I call it sporty ball. Uh, but That would be football, too that sporty ball whatever (laughs) then when you wear your costumes you know what I'm talking about Um, (laughs) but you know every like we we have to get really good at being critical of ourselves and that means you know taking that you know perhaps excessive force incident that was captured uh, on your body cam or on your squad video and playing it for your department and saying okay you know here is where perhaps things got went wrong what could have been done differently you know and we're some of us are good at that and some of the progressive agencies with really great training minds you know that have that introspection but you know it's no different than looking at these at these active shooter events but i, I kind of hope that we can really take on that that whole concept of you know after action you know from all of our events
0: that was one of the reasons i was really excited to have you on and because in the world i live in we use all those evaluations as as some guidance right what how to change policy, how to change structure, and uh, the one thing that is important is that uh, people have to understand that we do make mistakes, and the mistake might not be an intentional act, but it is something that we don't want to make in the future, and, and you're a big proponent of that with your book, which we'll get into here, and I, I really thought that's an important point that you brought to the table in your leadership seminars.
1: Yeah, I think we're, as a professional organization, you know, in a profession of law enforcement, you know, I think that we have a tendency um, for a little bit of blind loyalty, you know, and that blind loyalty is where I think that, you know, we tend to automatically defend our actions when really we need to be critical of ourselves.
0: Well, let's do this just for those that are listening to you. And can you give just an overview? And I don't think it can be a brief one, but- can you get an overview of your 30 years and, and what brought you to where we are today?
1: Settle in, everyone. This will take a couple hours. Uh, so, yeah. You're not a lawyer, Kristen. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm billing you by the hour, just so you know. So I'm going to talk very slow. <laughs> um Yeah, so I started, again, at the tender age of 17. I graduated from high school in June, and I started as a police intern in July. So to say that I have... Grown up in my police department is actually both literal and figurative and it's my hometown I was uh, in Aurora, Illinois born and raised there and my father was a police officer there and I never wanted to go anywhere else Um, I live in Aurora, which is about 35 miles due west of Chicago and it's the second largest city in Illinois about 300 sworn officers. And I gravitated towards my hometown police department because I felt that it had the best of both worlds. It was not as big as Chicago, which is a little chaotic uh, at, at times. And yet, you know, I was I wanted action. And so I decided, hey, I'm I'm already here and this is where I want to be. So, yeah, it's a it's just kind of your typical career. Honestly, as you follow a resume, I worked at, at every rank. I uh, was a field training officer. I was in community oriented policing. I was a detective specializing in domestic violence for five years. And uh, from there, I was promoted to sergeant after nine years on the job. And I think here is where, you know, my story resonates, uh, especially with a lot of women in policing. In my 300-person department, there was never a female uh, that had attained uh, above the rank of sergeant so lieutenant and above never in the history and so I had this moment in my career where I had five years in as a sergeant and you know I had this mindset of oh I can't do that and you know all of the things that your that voice inside your head tells you you can't do and I my voice was uh, alive and well and loud and then I tried to get a handle on that and I thought wait a minute you know if you know, if that guy can do it then you know so can I and so I signed up for the lieutenant's test. And, you know, there's a lot more meat and potatoes in this story because the, I had both mentors and tormentors, that I like to call them. And so I had a particular commander that told me I would never become a lieutenant in the history of our police department if he had anything to do with it. And so I drilled down and decided to prove him wrong. And I became the first female lieutenant. Um, in my department. And uh, then I went on to become a commander, which was appointed by the chief. And, you know, I think this is also a very important lesson to be had here is that the chief at that time was the first chief in my career that promoted people not in his likeness. Every other chief before him, you could almost, you know, you could predict, all right, here he's going to promote his friends. Um, and so this chief promoted people uh, that were different than him, and I was one of them. And so there was an opening on his command staff, and everyone thought or speculated that he was going to pick one of his his friends, and he actually chose me. And when I later asked him, he said, because, you know, we think so differently. And that is just such a credit to you know the diversity of thought and that mindset and so it was such a gift uh, from such a progressive leader uh, Greg Thomas is, is his name mm-hmm. and I'll never forget that but then yeah I became a commander and I spent five and a half years as a commander of the patrol division with a small stint over investigations and then uh, the chief's job opened after my chief retired and I kind of that I'd adopted that mindset of why not me and I applied for the job and there were internal four internal candidates and the mayor chose me, and um, and this is kind of also another nugget that I'll just drop down in case anybody wants to pick them up. Is um, I have two master's degrees, and I remember the mayor looking at me and saying, "You know, your resume leaves everyone else's in the dust." And so, you know, we we have to kind of take our career into our own hands. And so that education and getting my hands on on you know the FBI Academy and getting in and you know going to SMIP and you know, to all into I went to Harvard for through that program, and so uh, and then that second master's degree in the Naval Postgraduate School put me in a perfect position uh, to be chosen, and so that's uh, kind of the rest is history. I love
0: I love stories of drive and ambition. Uh, I overachieved myself out of the law enforcement entity, but you know that's a now the yeah. other thing I do appreciate, Chief, which is a very sensitive subject, but something that I've been fighting very hard. Is with the increase of women in our ranks in, in females in leadership one of the things that I've truly thought has been a problem is that there's not enough mentorship and a not enough mm-hmm. uh, you know I don't want to say training but advice and guidance for la- young ladies who want to work their way up the food chain and, uh, and yeah. that was one of the things that I loved about watching your story is that you you are that light to a group of people that know that they too can get there and and have the mentorship and be the mentors that they should be as as females enter the law enforcement agencies
1: you know what's so interesting about what you just said is that i fought that for a long time and that sounds so absurd but when like i got promoted old to, Buta- <laughs> i i know i i I got promoted to lieutenant and there was such a focus on uh, first female lieutenant in the history. And I was kind of embarrassed by that. And I felt that it took light away from some very competent and wonderful male counterparts that were also getting promoted. And so I shied away from that spotlight because throughout my entire career, all I ever wanted to do was just be one of the guys and I didn't want to be set apart. Well, then as I got into that leadership role, into the executive role, I should say, I started to reach out to other females and it was a it was a sad existence because there were some of them that never even returned an email or a phone call and so the the mentors that i had in my career were wonderful male mentors and i thought I, i'm i'm never going to do that if i ever get into a position you know where i can help a female um, even if it's just as a sounding board and so i've tried really hard i'm sure i've fallen short in, you know in in some instances but i've tried really hard you know to kind of envision what it was like for me not to have female mentorship and to try to be that for other people so you know I, i'm a work in progress and i and i but i try never to ignore an email or in, in a dm you know from a young officer and so you know that's just been kind of baptism by fire for me well i thank you for that because one of the difficulty for me is i i
0: will mentor any officer and i would like to mm-hmm. help any officer but realistically I, i'm a male and so when I see a, mm-hmm. a, a female executive who just steps into that role of being a mentor it, it is it is important and I would I would encourage all of the ladies that are listening to reach out to those mentors because they're going to be able to provide them some guidance that that, that we male mentors are just not going to be able to
1: Yeah. And again, I've had a great mix. You know, I mean, I certainly I think, again, such a a testament to the wonderful men that have have mentored me throughout my my career, you know. And so, I, you know, it's like there's I struggle with this a little bit because I think you know to your point you're right it's gender neutral right and i've said that a million times as listen the cream rises to the top i i want to mentor anyone who wants to be mentored you know but i do acknowledge that most certainly there is a, a you know definitely a kinship and a connection that we women have especially because we are you know such low numbers we're 12% of the profession and so there is something to offer there but i i think that mentorship goes across the board and i think we need to really you know lend a hand, uh, up, you know, and provide our experiences and our lessons learned for, for those who aspire to be, you know, to achieve rank or to, or a specialization or whatever it might be. So
0: let's switch gears. You wrote a book. How's that going?
1: I wrote a book. Yeah. I, uh, funny, I started writing that book in 2018 and it was born because I wrote a blog and actually to back it up even further, I wrote for my local newspaper as a young sergeant. I called the newspaper and I said, can I have a column? Because there's so many police related issues that I would love to tackle and educate people on you know, police encounters. So I started writing for the newspaper and then I started keeping a blog. And then I was given a leadership talk one day uh, to these uh, to executives in a leadership academy. And one one dude just stood up and said, I don't have a question. I have a comment you should write a book and I thought huh okay so I sat down and started to write a book and but the truth of the matter is is I didn't finish it until I retired so retired in September and then I sat down and there's a certain freedom uh, when you come to the end of your career it's this uh enlightenment of of really introspection and connecting all the dots backwards and the freedom that I mention is I'm not a sitting chief anymore, right? So I'm just I was just you, you know you banging are. away, yeah, I was banging away at the keyboard, going, you know what? I don't work for anyone, and I can say exactly how I feel about literally everything. So it was uh, it was kind of therapeutic for me. That's the best part of my job. I don't I don't have to worry mm-hmm. about anybody firing uh, me. Yeah, it's a beautiful thing. It really does. And you always have to. And it's not that I ever stifled myself, but my gosh, I always had to worry about, okay, if I write this, you know, is the mayor going to think I can't, I can't be too political. I can't be too opinionated. And so I had to weigh my words and measure my thoughts. And, you know, once that was gone, that freedom just came in. I'm like, you know what, I'm going to write about George Floyd. I'm going to write about race and, and some of the struggles that we are having with divisiveness in our nation. And not only that, but I also took a pretty vulnerable approach and that wasn't in my original, um, really my original draft of my book, but I, I decided, i had a pretty troubled childhood or an interesting childhood and with a father who was my hero but also a raging alcoholic and for the first time in my life i sat down and i wrote about that because i recognized that that adversity brought me the skills as a police officer and as a as a leader that i didn't even realize I learned. And so the book is a memoir and it's vulnerable and it's messy and it's honest and all of those things.
0: Well, it's awesome. And and thankfully, everybody won't be able to see you during this because I'm going to make you blush. Uh, I'll give you an opportunity to talk about it. But the, the title of the book is Reimagining Blue, Thoughts on Life, Leadership, and New Way Forward in Policing. And I recommend everybody... Uh, take a look at it and and read it. And and one of the things that I found very interesting, Kristen, is that you have amazing reviews. Um, But there was one that stood out as I was looking through your reviews. Somebody wrote, Kristen Zinman writes from her heart about a tough profession. If everyone took the time to read this book, we could all as American citizens possibly have a hand in changing and understanding those on both sides of the law that, that, that's heavy chief. (laughs) So congratulations.
1: Yeah. And you know, it's funny, uh, that, 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 that reviewer, someone sent that to me and they spelled my name wrong. So I promise you, I don't know that person because it almost sounds like that was a plant. Right. You know, (laughs) right. So no, but that's it. And I didn't set out to do that. I literally just wanted to pour my heart out and to write what I thought and what I felt. And the fact that someone takes that from it, uh, what, what a remarkable honor to, to have that feedback. It's powerful in, in,
0: the amount of people you will affect with that is going to be millions. So, if somebody was to ask you to give you, and I'm sure you've done this a few times already, uh, to give us a Reader's Digest version of the of what you think are the the most effective parts of your book, or what why people should read it, what would you say?
1: So i like to say that i call balls and strikes and i really call out some of the transgressions that i have seen in law enforcement one of them is as i previously mentioned is that you know sometimes we aren't that good at you know at at that looking at an incident and being completely objective about it we get defensive and so i talk about that i talk about uh some of the issues that we've had with race and why some people don't trust us and so there's a story in there in chapter five that's all about race and it's uh it starts with the story uh of of sandra bland and um and the dialogue that i have back and forth with one of my mentors who happens to be a uh a, a black pastor uh, with a PhD. Uh, So, I mean, he's got, you know, uh, double whammy as he comes at me with, um, you know, not only from the spiritual side, but this was a gentleman that didn't care for police uh, when we first met. And as a result, I said, will you please just have coffee with me? And we started having coffee and this man makes me think about things and he challenges me and we disagree a lot. And so I tackle that and that's a hard subject. Um, I also talk about uh, you know, even discipline in in policing, and where I believe, uh, and I want to underscore and highlight the fact that unions are imperative. I have benefited from a strong police union, uh, but I also, there are certain times where, um, and I'll uh, as an example, I fired five officers in my tenure and three of them got their job back. And I can tell you that they are not doing this profession uh, a, a good service. They have tarnished the badge. And so, for those reasons, I think that, and that kind of goes back to that introspection is that do we have blind loyalty in some places? Are we just defending some cops that? that we don't want in our profession and the beauty of it is is the majority of the police officers the overwhelming majority i would say it's the it's the minority that fight for some of these individuals that shouldn't have a badge but i i talk about that But, and then the rest is is deeply personal. It's about my struggles, it's about my failures, it's about my journey in becoming a police officer and evolving into a police leader. And then, you know, I kind of land the plane with where we need to be and You know, how open and transparent we need to be with our community and the conversations that need to be had instead of, you know, hating each other from afar when we lean in and we see that we all want the same thing. We want peace in our communities. And it's just sort of it's head scratching to me when we just let's start there, you know, and that's really where where I land it. Let me take your
0: experience since since the goal is for me to quickly mine the best that you have for the benefit of officers across the country. What would you identify as the most significant developments that you have witnessed in policing over your career?
1: Oh, man. Well, think about this. My career began with uh, the LA riots, Rodney King. uh, The Rodney King incident had just happened when I started at my police department. I then end my police career uh, at the murder of George Floyd and riots ensued and civil unrest. If you took those bookends of my career, you would make an assumption that nothing has changed in policing, that we still go out there, beat people up, and that's just what we do. You know, we wake up in the morning and that's what we're intent on doing. And the book is actually in defense of that to say that throughout my career, I watched I watched a profession become accountable. And when I started in 1994, 1991 as a cadet, 1994 as a sworn officer, there was no internal affairs division. When I got in trouble or an officer got in trouble, you got called into the lieutenant's office and you got an ass-chewing. In fact, it became a game, you know, to kind of get the complainant to go away, right? And so um, then uh, formal uh, internal affairs was born. Then squad cameras came about. And I am a big proponent in not only squad cams, microphones, and body cams for police officers, because I believe they exonerate police officers 99 out of 100 times. And so we became more professional because of that. Now, some people will argue, and I've had this argument, is that, well, do you think that it just exposed with the use of cell phones, you know, more police misconduct, and you know, perhaps maybe, um, but you know, I think that's a good thing. Exposing that is shining the light where, meaning we need to change something. So if we are seeing those incidents of excessive force, you know, we we need to we need to stop that. We need to make sure that we are. Um, holding officers accountable and so not only did we get did we become more accountable but then i mean just the transformation in technology you know when i left the department you know we had a drone team you know where we could send in a drone into buildings and high-risk search warrants instead of an officer you know and we had throw bots where you could toss those in we built a fusion center so i almost feel like i've like been a police officer in, a, in two different worlds because of the changes that have been made and for the better. That
0: is the experience that I think most of the people that I speak with is that it's such a such a been a long, and dramatic ride, but such a good ride. You've, what are, I'm very impressed with your continued professionalism and you kind of hit on that with your education, um, with pushing yourself to be better at all levels. Uh, I mean, and even your position with the International Chiefs of Police, how important to have you found that that professionalism? In, in because one thing is clear, it's not easy to go to school while you're on the job. It's not easy to continue to build that professionalism. What were the What were the benefits for you that you think you'd recommend to others that it's a necessary thing?
1: Oh, I absolutely believe that. And when you said that you know a, a lot of young police officers listen to this podcast, and if you are listening and you have put schooling on hold, you know to 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 work in your dream job, you know, being a police officer, you have to make room uh, to better yourself. And I'm not suggesting that everyone needs to have some, you know, higher education or formal degree. So let's start right there. Is that if you're listening to this podcast, you are already one of those people who are trying to better themselves in your profession. And so kudos to you for doing that. So so don't misunderstand that I only believe that, you know, a formal education. But here is what it did for me. When I was, you know, uh, again, I started as a cadet and so I didn't, I hadn't obtained my degree when I became a sworn officer. And by that time I got married and had two little kids when I decided to go back and get my bachelor's degree and I went to night school and what it did is it, it truly made me thirsty for knowledge and it also made me understand, uh, that you can, you can truly learn more about law enforcement, not just on the street, but in the academic environment as well, where you can listen to other hypotheses from academics. Because so many cops I've heard say, "Listen, nothing is better than you know getting your degree from the School of Hard Knocks, you know, and you know just that you you street smarts and that's all you need." And I pushed back on that because when I sat in that classroom and went, oh, my gosh, I never even thought of that, where, you know, an academic professor, you know, posits this, you know, and I thought that's brilliant. And it allowed me to just open my mind to new ideas, which helped me formulate better decisions on the street and helped me understand that there's more than one uh, opinion, you know, and that's what we did in the classroom in a controlled environment. And I got so addicted to that content, to the education that after I finished my bachelor's degree, I went back and got a master's degree and it was, it was hard. I mean, my kids are, you know, hilarious because they're, they're the, as, when they were younger they're like you know you were at our soccer games with your head in a laptop you know and i'm like yeah but i never missed a goal even though i missed them all the time you know i was like oh yay (laughs) uh pretended i saw them but like their childhood is me you know i got a paper due you know and so but i went back and got that first master's degree and then when i was uh, a commander i went back to the naval postgraduate school because i thought if i To be a good commander or if I have aspirations to become chief, I want to learn more about Homeland Security because I'm going to be responsible for uh keeping my citizens and my officers safe. So I went and got a degree in homeland security and defense, a, a topic that I knew nothing about, so completely out of my wheelhouse, and it changed me. And and but I'll say this, that's extreme, right? That's extreme because I am the biggest nerd you'll ever meet. Uh-huh. But here's what you do. You you take your career into your own hands. You put in for those training classes uh to to take Classes for things so you can get better, things that huh, you know you, you want to learn, not just the things that you already know. You know, and there were times where I was denied training and I paid for it out of my own pocket. You know, go to the conferences, put yourself in those positions to better yourself. And not only will you become more successful at your job, but then it, just as the mayor told me is he said, listen, you know, everybody else was in the rear view mirror. I never meant for that to happen, but I was just thirsty for knowledge. So you are in charge of your career. Uh, and, and by the way, for all of those of you listening,
0: because the chief and I both went to night school with married with children, we actually had to go to class. So <laughs> you didn't get to do it by Zoom. We had
1: to put pants on. Yeah, we had yeah. to put pants yeah. on. <laughs> you had to show up. <laughs> exactly uh, gosh brick and mortar what's that yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> a, lot, a
0: lot of a lot of hours in the classroom but uh let me let me stay in that lane for a little bit and that is as we as i you know I, i've wrapped this up with you and push forward if, if a young officer had the wonderful opportunity to sit down and have lunch with you and say and chief what a What do I need to know? What advice would you give me starting out today to make my, you know, to push me in the right direction? What
1: would that be? a couple of things you know number 1 i would say that your legacy is the most important thing and your legacy building begins right now whether you literally just just took the oath raised your right hand and got sworn in you're building your legacy with every conversation with every decision that you make with the way that you treat people and your reputation is all that you have and so you must guard it and that kind of makes you stop when you think about the end in mind of what legacy do I want to leave here? Well, I have left this organization, this police department, this city better than I found it. And, and you do that through every interaction with one of your citizens with one of your peers uh, and 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 your supervisors alike so i would say always begin with that legacy in mind and the next thing is to commit yourself to constant self improvement i had an officer uh say listen i've been here yeah 12 years there's nothing else i could learn i've seen it all right? Right, right and that is a that's a closed mindset right you know you want that growth mindset is that you know i've done 30 years in the profession and i still feel, you know, as though there's so much. So commit yourself to constant self-improvement. And that means that this version of you, 2022, uh, needs to be better in 2023. What will you have done to have made yourself better? And and again, once you, if you take on those two mindsets, uh, I think that you'll see a very successful career.
0: Well, and the other thing that I liked what you said was I talked to the young ones in the academy and they, they say, well, I really wanted this job. I say it's not mm-hmm. a job. It's a profession. Mm. It's it's a Absolutely. life. And, and yes. I think that's the big difference with the job nowadays. People are actually looking at it like a job.
1: Mm-hmm. It's true. And you know, there's something to be said. You know, I hear uh, I, I, heard from my, you know, more traditional, uh, which I'll, I'll call them, you know, the, the veteran officers, um, who, and you hear it all the time as these young cops don't want to work overtime. You know, they don't, we used to work you know, both of our days off. And my response was, yeah, and you've been divorced three times and, you know, and so there's something to the work-life balance. And that's where I think newer officers have it right is that they say, I love my career. I love this profession. I'm, I'm drawn to the purpose of it. But also, you know, I love my time off with my family. And so I would encourage people, you know, is to maybe not just to, you know, immerse yourself into this this law enforcement ecosystem and to have friends that are outside of the profession, because we, I'm going to just be real, have a tendency to become, you know, kind of Calloused curmudgeons, you know, because you know we see the worst of the worst every day. People, people, people lie to us. People, you know, people lie, cheat, steal, and and sometimes you know it's like we ha- we have a tendency to think that you know because we see broken people is that all people are broken. When you've got to really go out of your way. You know, to surround yourself with with you know, positive people, and so you know, I would also offer that you know, gratitude plays a big role. It's like when whenever you you know you get to that point of oh god, I'm sick of my job and I'm tired of everybody I'm dealing with, and you know, all the the words that get strewn at you on the street and the you know just the resistance. You know, it's like you have to you know it. it Tell yourself in that moment, stop yourself and breathe and, you know, remind yourself what, you know, how grateful, you know, you should be, you know, to have this position, this responsibility, because it's an awesome responsibility to be of service um, in
0: law enforcement. It's almost like you stole my uh, question sheet here. I I did want to ask you this because I think it's something that you're very Mm -hmm. valuable at and your experience is very valuable at. The challenges that we are facing nowadays in policing with the community, in the, the the that interaction, that that realness that your book outlines. is um, your experience formed any opinions on how an officer can can be better and work better with the community? How can we how can we mend these these broken fences?
1: Yeah, I think it takes one interaction at a time first of all drop the mirrored sunglasses in attitude if that's you know what you possess because you know we are absolutely Outward-facing guardians, and you know, when we suit up, I I have you know a very strong opinion about the fact, just as you mentioned, is that guardianship is is should be always be our mentality, you know. But we also have to attract those who are drawn to the action side of it, and that's why our training is imperative. You have to be able to run towards things that people don't. But to your question. It starts with one interaction at a time. When you start to feel yourself, you know, bubble up with anger. If you know, everyone hates me. The they hate the police. You know, and and I don't care for them. That's that whole us versus them mentality, and it's so oversimplified. What I'm about to say, but get out of your car and have a conversation with someone, anyone, someone who looks different than you, who thinks different, have a conversation. And it's about building relationships in times of peace. Don't wait for, you know, someone to call 911. Don't wait for the defecation to hit the oscillation. When you're out there on your beat, yep, let that sink in. Oh, when you're out there on your beat, man, just strike up conversations with people whose, you know, whose neighborhoods you are in charge of keeping safe and, you know, ask them, Hey, you know, what is it that you need from me? And most importantly, and I, I, I'm half joking, about the mirrored sunglasses and attitude, but the, what I told my cops, every every uh, class, probation class that came in, you know, rookie cops, I said, listen, we all dress alike, we're paramilitary, I get it, but every single one of you has something unique about your personality. So use your skills, whether, you know, your personality is your humor, your compassion, God forbid, your vulnerability, and even your your struggles to talk to people because that's all that's all anyone wants of us this is why we have such a disconnect in the police world is because they think that we are robots and and that we're not human we don't care about people when just the opposite is true i mean uh, in the heart of a of a police officer is the the most humanity and service that i I have ever seen in individuals. And that's what you have to show out there instead of being defensive. And I think that once we let our guard down and we just show people who we really are as humans, man, that goes so far. Back to the basics for me. And that is Sir Robert Peel, the piece of
0: the police of the public and the public of the police. They're just one of the same. Retweet. (laughs) Look at you being all savvy. (laughs) All right, last question. (laughs) So as you sit here, and it's not the end of your ride, it's really only the beginning because your experience will now lead to the benefit of law enforcement. Um, What is the future of law enforcement?
1: That is such a great question. I think there's some things that we need. (laughs) You're welcome. Um, I think there's some things that we need to tackle. I, I think that, you know, and that's kind of part of, like I said, where, you know, I end the book in Reimagining Blue is how can we reimagine a better police force? And that is not to say because we are broken, but because we can always be better. And so I think we need to sit down and we need to find the gaps, one of which is you know what's so interesting is that many progressive police departments, before uh, George Floyd reform era, were already um, employing um, social workers on their staff that work side by side with police officers. I'm a big proponent. It, it, it's actually a little funny, and I'll put it this way: in the in the call to defund the police, I actually laughed because I I my rebuttal was. You all are asking to defund the police, which means to put money towards other social services so the police don't have to respond to homelessness, which is not a crime, uh, mental health, substance abuse, and all of the things, all of the social ails you know, that befall a police officer. You're saying that you want actually other people to handle that? I said, oh my gosh, I will, I will carry a picket sign with you. Now, don't take any money from my budget because 93% of my budget went towards personnel. But if you want to fund it, other agencies so we can work together collaboratively. So that's where I think we need to look at the future of policing is what social services uh, agencies, because we're we're reactive, we show up, you know, a, in the bad time. So let's work with our social service agencies and figure out what's the best way to respond so that we can get the best outcome. So I think we need to be better with that. And it's so funny, you just said it just a minute ago, we need to go Go back to basics to i mean sir robert peel if those of you who don't know what we're talking about look up sir robert peel's principles of policing and and read them and if you it's been a minute since you've read them uh revisit them because when i reread them i thought this is it we made up all these word salads eric we we're like procedural justice 21st century policing you know the pillars of policing i'm like those are all word salads. To go right back to Sir Robert Peel, the public are the people, and the people, uh, the police are the public, and the and you know what you just said um and so that is it's truly looking at people is that we are police officers but we're part of our community we live in the community we work in the community we raise our families our kids in the community so we need to start really getting better at leaning in and I don't know where we got away from that and you know the militarization and yet I say that while also saying. We also have to be ready. We have to have the equipment and the gear and God forbid, sometimes the military grade equipment, uh, you know, behind the scenes, but we don't need to be, you know, out front with that, but we need to be at the ready should something happen in our communities. You know, so we need to, <laughs> this, it, we're asking a lot of our police officers, but I think that's a start is to really look at perhaps a new way of doing things and in a hybrid method of collaboration.
0: Well, as you can tell, I'm a huge fan since this is called Guardian Mindset. Uh, yeah. You know, we have to, we are guardians that have to get warrior like every once in a while, right? That's just the way it goes. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, listen, absolutely. Chief, it's been awesome. You're amazing. Uh, I encourage everybody listening to this to read your book. Uh, it's the philosophy that is going to get us through the next handful of hurdles. And I thank you for being transparent and being honest and just kind of throwing yourself out there as the mentor you are. And so on behalf of my team and and my clients across the country, I'd like to thank you for that because it... It was it was really uh, amazing.
1: Oh, well, that means the world to me, coming from you. So thank you for the work that you're doing as well. I mean, I think that as we work together in this space and with your, you know, education and expertise, yeah, I think, uh, yeah, we've we're we're out there just to to make it better for everyone. Right.
0: Excellent, excellent. Thank you. All
1: right. So I'm going to
0: wrap this up as we always do in the will like this. Help those who need your help. Protect those who need your protection and most importantly, keep yourself and others safe. Be well.